Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So the ombudsman is very outspoken of his criticism of both the federal government and the CIF leadership on the issue of sexual misconduct in the armed forces and essentially accused both the government and the highest CAF ranks of being enablers of sexual predators. And uh, let's talk about that with uh, Professor Christian Luprecht. He's a professor at the Royal Military College and Queen's University. He's a senior fellow at the MacDonald Laurier Institute and uh, an expert on uh, military matters, including NATO, and he has a new book coming out, Intelligence as Democratic Statecraft. Uh, Christian, thank you very much for the time. What are your concerns? Do, you, do your concerns mirror those of the ombudsman? Yeah, I think the ombudsman is giving voice to the frustration that is palpable across uh, the uniformed and civilian membership of the Department of National Defense and the Canadian Armed Forces. But of course, they can't speak freely to the media. Uh, and I think so. This is an opportunity here, uh, I think, for him to also uh, show that he understands the concerns expressed uh, by the women and men serving in uniform and the constraints that the current system imposes both on him and the other accountability and transparency measures in place in terms of serving uh, those who are serving uniform, uh, the, the Canadians, Canada, and the government of Canada. Were you surprised at the outspokenness uh, by the ombudsman? We don't normally hear ombudsman being as direct to government and just laying it on the line the way he did. Yeah, it was not entirely un. Uh, it was somewhat undiplomatic his uh, his expression, but he is one of the four direct reports to the minister. So the minister would have had advance notice, likely of both his uh, remarks and of the report as well as would have had the prime minister's office. Um, now it's not clear what the minister could have done to prevent those types of remarks, uh, but I think it certainly shows that as one of the direct reports, uh, there's not just tension between uh, the minister's office and the chief of defense staff's office and the ombudsman with his predecessor, but also with the current office. And I think that's also the continuity in the challenge that's the, uh, that the current ombudsman wanted to lay bare here. So what will come out of this sexual misconduct issue within the CAF and the investigation? Because there are reports and thousands of pages of reports of that um, not being made available by the government to parliamentary committee. And uh, clearly, it starts to appear to many of us who've been watching government for many years that the corners of the carpet are being lifted and somebody's going to try to sweep this stuff away if possible. Yeah, so I think both those concerns you hear in Gregor Lick's remarks that uh, there's a lot of paper that's been reams of paper that's been generated. I mean, aside from uh, his policy position paper, uh, there's also the report by the Standing Committee for the Status of Women on the Matter of Sexual Misconduct in the Armed Forces, and of course, a long-awaited report by the Standing Committee on National Defense and the controversial testimonies. And we still don't have that report, even though Parliament has risen for the summer, and that indicates that there's considerable contention likely uh, around the wording of that report. But I think, as as Mr. Lick points out, that there's a uh, it, it's not that we're lacking for reports on this issue. Um, it's like the RCMP, you know, and the RCMP, we have 20 years of reports and analyses. We know that the government, as all listeners know, has commissioned yet another outside review on this particular matter. And I think his point is sort of that, you know, enough has been written and everybody's looking to the minister and to the government to provide a plan and a path a pathway forward. Ultimately, this is ministerial responsibility. 
It's for the minister to step up. It's under responsible government, the government's of the day responsibility to lay out a plan. We know the organization can't do it on its own. It's demonstrated that. That's the frustration from the membership. And so this ultimately calls for political leadership. And I think this is partially what the ombudsman is crying out for here. So let me switch horses in midstream here and ask you a question about one that I I really don't want to see the rug lifted on. I doubt it'll be, but the efforts have been made. The Winnipeg Biolab issue continues to boil, and the Trudeau government refuses to provide, again, parliamentary committees with unredacted documentation the committee is demanding. Is the Trudeau government setting new standards for obstruction and obfuscation here? This is a government that, of course, basically didn't have parliament meet for almost, uh, well, well over a year. Um, and uh, a government that has been uh, endeavoring to minimize its transparency to parliament, which, of course, is particularly ironic, given that this is a government that was elected on a platform of being more transparent, being more accountable um, and honoring uh, the standing uh, of committees. Of course, that's a lot more difficult to do when you're in a minority position. But I think when a government uh, intentionally, deliberately and knowingly um, uh, is trying to counter the express will of parliament and of the people uh, that we're reaching uh, constitutionally rather challenging heights. Uh, it'll be, I, I, I suspect the government is going to lose this case before the federal court. The federal court is likely going to decide this is a political matter. It's not a matter uh, that can be adjudicated, but it does, of course, buy the government time. And I think this is what this is all about, that ultimately the government wants to make sure uh, it gets to an election before that story can be fully adjudicated in the public realm. If I may, I'd like to just, uh, again, switch horses here in midstream. You have a book that's going to be published shortly, Intelligence as Democratic Statecraft. And I find this really this fascinating to me, and I think it is to many people. And that is, and I just read a part of a review here, the only, it's the only comparative book on the five eyes, the world's most powerful and exclusive intelligence alliance, the five eyes. We've been hearing more about the five eyes. Uh, recently, particularly with the tension between the United States, Britain, Russia, and China. So t- tell us, please, a bit about, about what, you, what you get at and what the book is about. So the Five Eyes community, security community, goes back to World War II. It's essentially an intelligence alliance that morphed has morphed into much broader uh, security cooperation effort among law enforcement, among border agencies, uh, uh, migration agencies, human uh, intelligence agencies, in order to be able to be more effective at countering our adversaries. If you think about the international security pyramid, you have the United States at the top, and then by virtue of our uh, alliance with the United States, Canada, Australia, the United Kingdom, and New Zealand um, below that. And I think one of the issues that is often missed in the public conversations, because intelligence security is a rather sort of cloak and dagger sort of uh, operation, that people don't understand that in a democracy, there are actually a myriad of efforts to ensure that uh, intelligence security agencies are accountable and actually live by the same values um, and processes that they are mandated to 
defend. And uh, so these are not organizations that go out and do whatever they want. And of course, I think when we are being challenged by adversaries whose intelligence organizations behave completely recklessly, if you look at what China or the GRU, the Russian military intelligence is doing, it's important to reinforce to democratic audiences that indeed our organizations are not just defending our way of life, they are also in the process adhering to those same norms and values while carrying out their mandate. And I think this is very important to uh, to emphasize to a public uh, because these are agencies that we cannot malign. These are the agencies in this geostrategic competition that are actually keeping us safe from some very nefarious forces. Yeah, Intelligence as Democratic Statecraft, published by Oxford University Press. And what's the pub date? Uh, we expect the book to be out uh, at some point over the summer. So uh, um, I look forward to discussing it further. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we want to do that with you. Now, since you're, here's one, here's one that's just coming at you from left field. Since you're in the Kingston area, Queen's University, um, you're halfway between Toronto and Montreal. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? Or do you have any idea? Uh, keep going there, Roy. <laughs> We've known each other for many years. Uh, are you are you at all interested in seeing the Montreal Canadiens win the Stanley Cup? Um, I think we are all surprised, and it shows that I think in this day and age where there are so many challenges, wouldn't it be nice that if a hockey team from a linguistic minority jurisdiction in North America with an indigenous goaltender would win the Stanley Cup, would this not be the year for that to happen and to set that precedent? What a wonderful expression. I, I didn't even think, I didn't think that far. That is so true. Yeah, that's great. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.